Morning, Venture Church. Uh, it's always good to be here. My name is Fernando, and I serve as the uh, missions pastor and director of the Leadership Outreach Ministry here at Venture. And if you are uh, new here and want to learn more about Leadership Outreach, we have a brochure uh, for you to take home, and you can talk to any one of us um, after the service. I'm so glad that you're here today, and to our online friends, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Before we pray, uh, like Pastor Tim said, let me give you a quick update about uh, the Ministry of Leadership Outreach. I do believe God is doing something incredible in and through our church. Uh, how could one local church be able to spark a movement of God, not only here in Southwest Florida, but around the world? Uh, and the answer is absolutely God. Uh, only God can do that. But I also believe uh, God is answering many of our prayers and desires of our hearts. Uh, we do have a team of godly servants who really want more of God. Every single week, we pray for that. God, we want you to move and move in us and through us. One of the uh, models we have at Leadership Outreach is local church global impact. And this is exactly what's happening right here with the Venture family. As of today, we have about 1,400 church leaders who are receiving non-formal theological education from more than 50 trainers, national trainers, in our network. We have 52 active training centers in 14 countries. And since 2015, church planters in our network have started 25 new churches in different parts of the world. That's so good. <laughs> amen. Amen. Praise God. Can I tell you something? I, in a good way, I feel like we have lost control of what's happening. Even this week, uh, one of my uh, coordinators down in Brazil, in the, uh, this year we had a, a survey that was, uh, it took place last year. And this year they just uh, you know, presented the survey to all of us that the most dangerous city in Brazil now is called Feira de Santana in Bahia, Brazil. And, uh, and in, that's exactly the city we have the most, the, the most number of training centers. God is really doing something in that part of the country. And this week, uh, one of our pastors there, he called me and he said, we had uh, all of our seminaries, uh, seminarists coming and being a part of uh, uh, something that we did in the community. And we have over 300 people accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So that's really amazing to see. I feel like we, we lost control, and that's why we know God is moving and leading this ministry. I had a pastor. Uh, he's the uh, president of the Youth for Christ in Brazil, and he told me one day, he said, Fernando, if you really want to know when God is moving through a ministry, you will always see the Holy Spirit moving ahead of you. You're, you're coming this way, and God is already doing something over there. And then you have to run quickly to go over there because God's already moving there. And then you, you go here and God's already doing something over there. And then you have to go. So we're always following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And that's something that we, we, we love to do, uh, be able to be led by the Holy Spirit. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time here this morning. So, Father, we, we praise you for all the numbers uh, 
they, I know that they are numbers, uh, but they represent people for you. And uh, Lord, we praise you uh, for the, the, the blessing that we, we have, that we, you called us a church here in Southwest Florida to do such a movement uh, around the world, Father. 14 countries, uh, over 1,400 people being trained and uh, many churches being planted. Lord, we know that this is your heart. You have a heart for the lost. And this is, this is your business. And we want to be a part of your business, Lord. So we pray that you continue to move powerfully uh, through this ministry and through our church. And keep us humble, always dependent on you, Lord. Always knowing that you are the one leading us and doing this great ministry. Father, as, uh, as we get together this morning to hear from you, I pray that your Holy Spirit will take control of my mind and my heart. May I feel and may I think in the way I should, always led by you. I pray that you give me the words to say and that you move powerfully among us this morning. Lord, we praise you and we give you all the glory for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, the Bible is filled with fascinating stories about heroes of the faith and villains as well. Real-life descriptions of men and women who struggled just as we do. Did you know that these stories are not intended just to teach us moral lessons or simply to entertain us? No, they are a, one portion of a much bigger story. They are ultimately designed to point us to the person and the work of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And today, I invite you to look at one of the most familiar characters in the Old Testament. His life teaches us that God can accomplish amazing things through ordinary people when they finally submit to God's leadership. Judges chapter 13 presents one of the most interesting stories in the Bible and maybe one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, and that's the story of Samson. Samson's story comes toward the end of the book of Judges. In fact, he is the last judged, judge specifically talked about in this book. And we get a lot more material on him than we do the other judges. And that's because Samson's life sums up the entire message of the book of Judges and points us beyond Judges. So let's read this profound story, Judges chapter 13, verse 1. The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. So let's pause. 40 years is the longest amount of time that the Israelites have been enslaved. This number represents judgment of sin and completion. Historians say the Philistines were really bad people. And they were really depraved. They were infamous for their production and consumption of alcoholic beverages. They pioneered the thing, this thing called the miste, 
a week-long drinking feast, and their parties were full of debauchery. They were unspeakably cruel. If a town was captured, the living males were mutilated, tortured, and impaled. Basically, they represent the enemies of God's people at their strongest. Numerically, culturally, economically, militarily, they were superior to Israel. Let's continue. Verse 2 to 5. There was a certain man from Zorah, from the family of Dan, whose name was Manoah. His wife was unable to conceive and had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Although you are unable to conceive and have no children, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now please be careful not to drink wine or beer or to eat anything unclean, for indeed you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth. Now let me say something about the Nazarite vow. You could not cut your hair, any of your hair, during the vow, not drink anything from the vine, alcoholic or otherwise, and not touch any dead bodies of any kind. Usually, people would only commit, it, uh, commit to it for a short period of time when they were really seeking God about something because it was really intense. Think about fasting and prayer, for example, today. When you really want to seek God for something, you're going to set aside some time for you to fast and, and, and seek the Lord in prayer. Basically, the Nazarite vow was, was with, the same, with the same principle in mind. But Samson had to do this from birth. And you might ask, what was God's purpose in requiring this vow? And that's a great question. So basically, everything was designed to show us that God would send a Savior who was absolutely different from the world. And verse 5 continues. And he will begin, the boy to be born, he will begin to, serve, to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. Begin. And that's a very interesting word. If he is going to begin, then the question is, who will finish it? And now we're reading the Bible the right way. Like every other story in the Old Testament, this one won't be completed until the New Testament. Let's keep reading. Verse 6 to 17. Then the woman went and told her husband, A man of God came to me. He looked like the awe-inspired angel of God. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. He said to me, You will conceive and give birth to a son. Therefore, do not drink wine or beer, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth until the day of his death. Manoah prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, let the man of God you sent come again to us and teach us what we should do for the boy who will be born. God listened to Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the, to the woman. She was sitting in the field, and her husband, Manoah, was not with her. 
the woman ran quickly to her husband and told him, The man who came to me the other day has just come back. So Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he asked, Are you the man who spoke to my wife? I am, he said. Then Manoah asked, When your words come true, what will be the boy's responsibilities and work? The angel of the Lord answered Manoah, Your wife needs to do everything I told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine or drink wine or beer. And she must not eat anything unclean. Your wife must do everything I have commanded her. Please stay here, Manoah told him, and we will prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord said to him, If I stay, I won't eat your food. But if you want to prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. And Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to him, What is your name? So that we, we may honor you when your words come true. So Manoah begins to bombard the angel with questions. Who are you? What's your name? When will all, all this be fulfilled? And what will happen to my son? Manoah wants to know details about what will happen in the future. Maybe he was not so confident about it. What's going to happen tomorrow is a question that all of us struggle with. And God knows we struggle with. But this is what we can learn here. If we are to overcome our fear of the future, then we must develop a correct view of God and His providence over every detail of our lives. Verse 18 Why do you ask my name? The angel of the Lord asked him. Since it is beyond understanding. Some other translation says. Since it is wonderful. And the word, the word wonderful means divine. It is used almost exclusively. For God in the Old Testament. Here the angel of the Lord spoke as God. Identified himself with God. And exercised the responsibilities of God. This is what theologians call a theophany. An appearance of God in physical form. And just like all of us, Manoah wants to know details about the future. But God instead gave him a glimpse of who God is. God interrupted him and said, I won't give you details, Manoah. The question is, do you trust my character? God said, can you see my name? My name is wonderful. Is who I am. Do you trust me enough to follow me? Listen, we want explanation for everything in life. But God wants to give us revelation. Not just explanation. He wants to give us revelation. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am your God. I'm with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. God says, I'm over you. I'm beside you. I'm all around you. 
I'm inside of you. I'm under you. You don't need to fear. You don't need to be afraid. There is only one great ground for fearlessness. And that's God. Let me put it this way. If you have God on your side, you don't need to be afraid. And period. Think about the beauty of God's holiness. All goodness, all love, all justice, all pleasure flows from Him. Can we trust this God with the questions we don't have answers to? Or a future that seems uncertain to us? Absolutely. Because His name is wonderful. Listen, God wants to give you revelation. Look at His majesty. Look at His power. Look at His holiness. Look at the cross and decide, is that enough for you? Can you follow him because of his wonderful name? Verse 19 to 21. Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering and offered them on a rock to the Lord, who did something miraculous while Manoah and his wife were watching. When the flame went up from the altar to the, to the sky, the angel of the Lord went up in its flame. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell face down on the ground. The angel of the Lord did not appear again to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. Verse 22. We are certainly going to die, he said to his wife, because we have seen God. And this is kind of funny. If you read, <laughs> like imagine, he's, he's speaking, you know, with his face to the dirt you know, muffled, and he tells his wife, Honey, we shall surely die. <laughs> uh, but, this, but his wife said to him, If the Lord, the Lord in, had intended to kill us, he would not have accepted the burnt offering and the grain offering from us, and he would not have shown us all these things or spoken to us like this. So the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. The boy grew and the Lord blessed him. But right here, at the end of chapter 13, we start to see an indication of trouble. Samson's name, San, son, means son, child. It's a tribute to the sun god. Samson is going to live a life filled with contradiction. He was a man of great physical strength, yet displayed great moral weakness. Let me tell you three things that will weaken Samson's life. Number one, Samson's life is going to be characterized by compromise. He is going to act like a fool, breaking all three provisions of the Nazarite vow. No alcohol, no dead bodies, and no haircut. In chapter 14, Samson falls in love with a Philistine girl, which is obviously a problem in itself because she doesn't even share his faith. Then he throws himself a miste. Remember the week-long week drinking party? Yeah, imagine what happened there. Then a few days before his wedding to the Philistine girl, a lion attacks him. And he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. And after some time, verse uh, chapter 14 says, when he returned to marry her, he left the road to see the lion's carcass. And there was a swarm of bees with honey in the carcass. 
he scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it, violating the command never to touch a dead body. And of course, he ends up cutting his hair, which leads to his downfall. You see, Samson compromises God's standards whenever it is convenient for him. Now you ask yourself, do I do that? Do I compromise God's standards whenever it is convenient for me? Number two, Samson's life is going to be characterized by impulsivity. Throughout his life, he doesn't show any signs of self-control. He gets hungry for honey, he eats. He wants a woman, he takes her. Doesn't matter if she's a Philistine or a prostitute or whatever. He gets mad, he kills people. Almost every demonstration of strength in his life comes as a result of him being personally insulted or angered. Think about how much Samson was willing to risk just to have an impulse satisfied. Who would risk being the strongest man alive for a taste of a little honey? Who would do that? But we see people acting in the same way today. People trade God and his promises for the slightest bit of sweetness or pleasure of sin. People who throw away their marriage, their family, for a little taste of pornography. College students who won't seriously consider the lordship of Jesus because they will have to give up sexual freedom in college, and on and on. Number three, Samson's life is going to be characterized by pride. Everything in his life revolves around him, his ego. You have to read these chapters and see how many times Samson uses the word I. Samson is going to leverage his God-given strength primarily to benefit him and not God's kingdom. Eventually, he allows his hair to be cut because he's convinced that his incredible strength comes from himself and not God. And this is really dangerous. Let me say this to you. These three things are probably the greatest three, uh, threats to what God wants to do in your life. When you compromise, become impulsive, and walk in pride, they destroyed Samson. They made the strongest man ever to live become weak. And these are the very things Satan will try to use to destroy your life and your ministry. But to end this message, I want you to see that Samson's story from the beginning to the end is pointing us forward beyond judges. The late pastor Tim Keller said, Samson is the last judge in this book, the last great hope for Israel. We wait to see how he will rescue and rule God's people in obedience to God. And in almost every way, we will find ourselves disappointed. Samson points us forward to another deliverer. Jesus will complete what Samson begins. You see, this is the most important word in this whole story. Chapter 13, verse 5 says that Samson began the salvation of Israel, but Jesus is the one who will complete it. 
Jesus is the true and better Samson who would succeed in every area where Samson failed. Like Samson, Jesus' strength would reside not in, in how he was built nor in his personal charisma or beauty, but in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Unlike Samson, Jesus never compromised. He would keep every facet of God's law without sin. Instead of being controlled by his impulses, Jesus would be controlled by God's will. After 40 days in the desert, without eating anything, Satan appears to Jesus and offers him bread. And what Jesus said is the complete opposite of Samson. He says, man does not live by desire or by bread alone. Man lives by the will of God. Jesus didn't do things because it pleased himself, but because it pleased God. In the Gethsemane, Jesus said to God, Father, I don't want this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And though Jesus was entitled to the throne, he would take the role of a servant and submit to the humiliation of the cross. You see, we can marvel at Samson's strength, but we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. And we sing, oh, how marvelous and how wonderful, because it is not about how strong Samson us was or how strong uh, God can make us. No, because it is about how Jesus would come and take upon himself our weakness, how the one who was strong, strong and rich became weak and poor, how the one who was righteous would become guilty, how the one who knew no sin would become sin for us. And then we We say how marvelous because our salvation didn't come by men with muscles. No, our salvation came through someone who bore our shame and died for it. Listen, until you see Jesus and believe what he did for you, you will never become a person of real strength. And God wants to give you this revelation. Jesus is the real deliverer. And knowing him will enable you to live to live like Samson should have lived. Instead of saying, I want it, you will have the strength to say, I want God. And I want to do his will. Instead of saying, my strengths, talents, and abilities are all about me, you will say, oh Jesus, it's all about you. It's all from you. It's all through you. And it's all for your glory. Instead of saying, I can handle it, You will say, I cannot handle anything without God, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. On the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24 tells us that Jesus was speaking with two of his disciples. They were walking between two towns and the two men didn't know who he was. This was after the resurrection. Jesus explained to them how everything in the Old Testament From the book of Moses through the prophets, everything was about him. I imagine when he got to the story of Samson, he explained some of the things that I am explaining to you. And Jesus did that because he wanted them to see. Like he wanted us to see. He wanted us to have this revelation. 
And this is the goal of every sermon, sermon we preach here at Venture. The Bible is not a list of examples for you to emulate. The Bible is about a Savior for you to adore. Your strength won't come from what you do for God. It will never come from what you do for God. Your strength will come from worshiping God for all he has done for you. My goal is not that you leave this place with a page full of notes. My goal is that you leave this place worshiping Jesus. There ought to come a time when the pain, there ought to come a time when, when the pain must goes down and the eyes go up. And you quit taking notes of the things you got to do for God. And you start saying, oh my God, look at what you have done for me. Because when your heart bursts alive in worship at what Jesus has done for you, then everything you begin to do for God will flow from the strength and ability that God gives you through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So let's all stand up. Let's end our time here by worshiping Jesus. He is the real deliverer. He is the Savior of the world. Father, we give you all the glory. You are the true and the better sense of Jesus. You came to deliver us from the power of sin. We love you. We praise you. We pray that you fill our heart, our hearts with awe before you. We want to be moved by your spirit. We want to be filled with your spirit. We want to walk in the spirit. We want to live in the spirit. We want our lives to be lived for your glory alone. Take our hearts, take our minds, take control of our being. And Lord, be exalted. Be exalted, Lord. We are here to worship you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen.